Commons is brought to you by the mattress company Endy. Endy is a Canadian sleep brand that wants to offer you the best possible sleep at the fairest possible price. And they'll ship the mattress out to you in an easy-to-carry box, and you'll get a 100-night free trial that's over three months to see if you like it. To try it out, visit endy.ca, that's E-N-D-Y dot C-A, and use the promo code COMMONS to get 50 bucks off your first mattress. And Commons is also brought to you by Sonos. You've heard us talk about Sonos One. We've told you how awesome it is, how easy it is to use. Well, Sonos just added another speaker to their lineup. It's called the Sonos Beam. It's a compact soundbar for your TV. And the Sonos Beam is Amazon Alexa enabled for easy voice control that delivers crystal clear, richly detailed sound for movies, shows, video games, music, podcasts, and more. You can pre-order Sonos Beam now at Sonos.com and start your home sound system today. Imagine living in a country where you can't speak the local language, your movement is restricted. Everything you do requires permission. You could be told to leave. But your home has been destroyed by years of civil and proxy wars. And despite this, you've been able to build a life, but you're hoping to build a better one for your family. So with the help of a friend and a group of good Samaritans, you apply to come to Canada. You're waiting for an answer on your application and you've been waiting for years. The phone call could come today or it may never come. This has been the experience of Walid Taleb. You can use waiting as a way to torture someone, especially if he is suffering. There is no DOD to end this torture. <laughs> I call it torture because the waiting, I, I didn't expect that. He is a Syrian refugee living in Turkey. And in November 2015, he applied to come to Canada. He's been waiting to hear back. And in this episode, he tells us about his experience. To better understand Walid's story, we also spoke to Pierre-André Theriot, the immigration lawyer representing Walid's case. I'm Ryan McMahon. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. From Canada Land, this is Commons. So Ryan, I'm not sure if you remember, but back in 2015, when the Liberal government got elected, Justin Trudeau promised to open the doors to 25,000 Syrian refugees. I absolutely do remember that. In fact, I was in a city in Canada where some of these refugees were uh, let in and were being held at a local hotel where I was staying, and there were children everywhere. And some friends and I went out and bought a few hundred dollars worth of toys, which we were not allowed to give the kids because every donation had to go through a series of workers. And it was, it was quite an experience for me to, to see. So yeah, I, I remember it was all over the news, but I'm admittedly, I'm not too sure what has happened after. And I didn't, I didn't really follow it uh, very closely after. So did they, they keep their promise? Yes, they actually did. And by the beginning of 2016, they'd managed to fast-track 25,000 applications. The Trudeau government's announcement inspired a lot of Canadians to help out other refugees who hadn't been able to come. 
And so groups started raising money to privately sponsor Syrian families who were looking to come to Canada. Right. And that that sounds great, right? So far. So what's the problem? So since then, the processing wait times have dramatically lengthened. Even refugees who've managed to secure support and get private sponsorship have been made to wait years for answers as to whether or not they can come to Canada. Okay, so Canadians who put up time and money and effort and organizing, they're still waiting to welcome these newcomers. Exactly. And meanwhile, the situation in Turkey has become more and more precarious. And for some Syrian refugees, like Walid Taleb, who have participated in pro-democracy work under the oppressive regime in their home country, there's a section in Canada's immigration and refugee law called Section 34 that makes it even more difficult for their applications to be accepted. And we spoke to Walid to learn more about this. We reached Walid in his home in Istanbul, Turkey. It was late in the evening in Istanbul, and he just finished breaking fast with his wife and his two children. And he spoke to us from his home with the sounds of the city in the background. My name is uh, Walid Talib. I am Syrian and living in Istanbul. I'm from a city in uh, sub-Damascus called uh, Duma. This city has been destroyed uh, in, in this war. I have nothing to, to come back to it. Uh, my, my home, my, uh, my, my whole city actually has been destroyed. I have applied to migration to Canada in uh, end of 2015 and I did my interview and medical tests in February 2016 and until now I still waiting for the answer. Okay, so Walid was actually last in Syria in 2006 and Syria was under military rule. And Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's government was plagued with issues of corruption and cronyism. The situation in Syria was, was very bad. Uh, the, the government were corrupted completely. Uh, uh, it, it, the military uh, was ruling the country. In every place in the government, were going to the more corrupted person and more powerful person, not to the uh, qualified person or good person. Yeah, see, I, ca- I can't imagine, you know, what it, might, what it must be like to live in a system like that. I get frustrated in Canada, you know, every other week. It's like, burn it down here, here in Canada. I just, for us here, there's no context to understand what, what these refugees are going through. And I just, I can't help but think, you know, I would be furious if I knew that that was the state of things in my country and and, and just the way I I was expected to to live. Well, that's exactly what Walid said. I was angry. I was angry and I was refusing that. Uh, I was reading a lot of books about uh, uh, democracy, about other regimes, about how the things is going in like America or Canada or Europe. And I was really upset. I remember myself. Um, I, I, I wanted to do the change. So Walid and his friends were growing frustrated with this system. They started a campaign to raise awareness about the image that the government was presenting to the Syrian people and how it compared to what the reality of the country actually was. We were uh, printing some papers explaining, or uh, it's like awareness about our regime. Uh, Syrian regime, 
that this regime is is, is not good as it, it's trying to appear in, in the media. Uh, there is something called democracy. That, that the democracy that they told us about in Syria, it's fake democracy. It's not a democracy. It's not a democracy to 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 have one candidate only, and you have the one option to to vote. So, with their work, they wanted to encourage their fellow Syrians to engage in discourse about democracy and human rights. You need to think about this. You need to to start talking about your rights. And I just have to imagine that organizing like that and, and doing work like this under what sounds like an authoritarian government is extremely dangerous. Yeah, of course. Like, Walid actually described what would happen if the secret police, or the security police as he calls them, caught wind of any opposition. You can't say a word. If you say just a word, bad word uh, about the government or Assad regime, you will just disappear. And often, when people who opposed the government suddenly disappeared, their families wouldn't know anything about what had happened to them. There were hundreds of families. They don't know if their kid is alive or dead. So did Walid's family ever find out they were doing this? And if they did, you know, how did they, how did they feel? Well, he said that he and his friends actually hid their work from their families. We were hiding that from our family, and I still remember when my father knew about our activity, he was almost crying. You know, we were we were like kids. We I remember when we started with this, like I was 19 years old. And, you know, in that age, we thought that we can change the world and we can do the change, starting from our city. So it seems that the secret services or secret police had caught on to Walid and his friend's work and they... Collected everything and burned it. But that wasn't enough because some of Walid's friends were then arrested. Uh, three of my friends get uh, uh, caught by, by the security police and I, I, I thought I'm threatened. Um, if, if they are collecting my friends one by one, then my turn is coming. So I, I had to escape because it's dangerous. So he left the country. Yeah, he left and he escaped to the United Arab Emirates, uh, specifically to Dubai. And in Dubai, he was able to find a good job as a communication specialist for a major hospital. I I was doing very good in my job. I was marketing manager for a big hospital in Dubai. My income was good. Everything was good. But I decided to to resign from my job. Okay, stop. So... Wait, he resigned? Why, why did he do that if, if, if everything was going well for him? Well, around this time in 2011, if you recall, pro-democracy protests had erupted around the Arab world. The Arab Spring began here in Tunisia. The ripple effect of that dissent was felt right across the Middle East and North Africa. Few countries were immune. They called for economic reforms, for long-term rulers to go, and for democracy to be embraced. And some of the biggest protests were taking place in Syria. And so Walid, seeing this, decided he'd quit his job and would start... Working full-time to help the uprising. And so how was he able to help from Dubai? 
Well, if you remember, a major part of the conversation around the Arab Spring, as it was called, was that social media played a pivotal role in connecting people on the ground, organizing the protests, and spreading word about the protests. And Walid was primed to help in this capacity because of the skills he had as a communication specialist. My, my win work was uh, to support my friends in, in the ground in Syria by organizing the demonstrations when they record some videos or photos. They send it to me and I send it. Uh, when they need to connect with other groups, I do that. Wh- whatever they need help in communication or publishing their work on the social media. Uh, yeah, this is, this is how, how we started. Well, it's it seems like he was doing well for himself. It seems like he, he got on his feet in Dubai. Well, not exactly. So he said he didn't feel comfortable supporting the uprisings while he was in Dubai. So apparently the governments in the United Arab Emirates weren't thrilled with the protests that were taking place across the region. So in 2013, Walid left again. This time he headed to Turkey to continue to support the uprisings there. And, and why didn't he just go back to Syria? Well, in all of his work in support of the protests, Walid had used his real name. So this means that going back to Syria would have been impossible for him. From the first day, I participated with my real name. My friends were using fake names, but for me, I wasn't afraid. I was just like, I want to shout, this is me, I'm not afraid from you. Okay, so this this gentleman, uh, he is unbelievable. He's principled, he's strong, and he has a vision of the way he and his co-organizers are really working to to try to make things happen. And he's used his real name and therefore can't go back to Syria. So the, in this case, Turkey actually makes a lot of sense as the next best place to help support his friends. Exactly. You know, it's geographically close to Syria. Um, there's other Syrians there who are supporting the uprisings. Um, People who've left have probably gone to Turkey because of the closeness. At the same time, there was a political group called the Syrian National Coalition that had started up, and Walid wanted to participate in their work. The National Coalition was starting as a political body that was supposed to be a replacement for the Assad regime. I came to Turkey to help with that. Okay, wait, back up a second, Hadia. I, I don't think I know what the Syrian National Coalition is. Can, can you tell me what, what that is? Well, I was a neophyte who didn't know what it was either, so I asked. Pierre-André Thériault, I'm a refugee lawyer in Toronto, also uh, doing a doctorate in law at Osgood, where I focus on refugee law. Pierre-André also represents Wally's case here in Canada. The Syrian National Coalition was uh, essentially established so there would be a structure to ensure the transition of government after uh, the Assad regime would fall. That's when Walid became involved with that uh, coalition. It was a civilian organization. It's also internationally recognized uh, as the representative of the Syrian people by over 80 countries around the world, including European Union countries, um, the UK, uh, the US. And his role was still to work in social media. Yeah, that was the work he did for them as well. So he ran social media campaigns for the coalition. He did one raising awareness about the Assad regime and one raising awareness about the dangers of ISIS, also known as Daesh. After a while, he began to receive threats. 
when I worked in National Coalition, uh, like after six months of my work, I start to get threats from different people that I don't know where, where they uh, were related to what. Because I was, I, I was against both Assad regime and I was against uh, uh, Daesh. So, Ryan, we've had our ND mattresses for a couple months. Shall we give our listeners an update? Uh, We shall. And my update, quite simply, is uh, my daughter still has a mattress. She jacked it on day one. She tells me that the 100% Canadian-made Andy mattress is boss. She jacked it, and I don't get to sleep on it. I hear you really like yours, though. Uh, We've had some warm weather in Toronto, and it's been nice sleeping on the Andy mattress because it's got this pretty sweet cooling gel that keeps you cool at night. Who knew that would be an important thing in life uh, until you experience it? And then once you do, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to need this 100-night free trial. Uh, I like it. And if this mattress is not for you, um, you can return the mattress within that 100 days. So if you want to be cool like Ryan's daughter and me, both literally and figuratively, you can visit nd.ca, that's E-N-D-Y dot C-A, Use the promo code COMMONS and get $50 off your first Andy mattress. Okay, so to recap, when Walid was a young man in Syria, he had started campaigning against the oppressive government. After his friends disappeared, he felt that he was no longer safe in Syria and went to Dubai. Well, in Dubai, the 2011 uprisings in Syria started, and he saw that as an opportunity to continue his pro-democracy work, so he quit a good job with good pay to support the uprisings. He moved again, this time to Turkey because he felt he would be able to better support the uprisings from there, but because of his work, he felt threatened by the Assad regime and ISIS. Do I have all of that right so far? That's the story as I understand it so far. Okay. So, so what is Walid's situation now? Okay, so let me try to explain with an analogy. Have you ever been stuck, say, at a doctor's office or a passport's office waiting to be called on, and you're told you can't leave the line because if you do, you'll lose your place and you can't come back, but you're hungry and tired and it's been a really long wait, but you need to see the doctor or get your passport so you have no option to just put up with it You can't move forward. You can't go backwards. You're just stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if I think about how much of my life I've spent (laughs) in lines waiting for a doctor or a passport, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, so that's a pretty good metaphor for Walid's entire situation. His situation in Turkey is very precarious and can change at any moment, as Pierre-André explains. His legal status is very precarious. Um, He, as is for all refugees um, in Turkey, uh, it's not a permanent status. And there is a concern that at any point in time, uh, the Turkish government could decide to deport um, all Syrians who are currently uh, living in Turkey. 
The Washington Post reported that anti-refugee sentiment is rising in Turkey and that just this past February, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said in a speech talking about Syrian refugees in his country, quote, we want our refugee brothers and sisters to return to their country, end quote. So in addition to receiving threats for the work he did for the Syrian National Coalition, Walid could be kicked out of Turkey at any time. But his problems don't stop there. To start with, he doesn't speak Turkish. I'm trying now to learn Turkish for the last five years, and I wasn't able to learn it. Is he able to work in Turkey? He does have a job, but he doesn't have a work permit, and his papers in Turkey are temporary. It's difficult for us. It is. Because our papers now are temporary papers. Most of us, they don't have, or they cannot even get work permit, like me. And in order for Willie to get a work permit, he'd have to leave Turkey and come back, which is impossible. Because Turkey stopped receiving Syrians, so if I go out of the country, I cannot come back again. And his mobility is limited in more than one sense. Every decision he makes requires some kind of permission or documentation. I, I, I not even can't leave the country. I can't leave Istanbul. I can't move inside Istanbul. Me as Syrian, if I want to move out of Istanbul, I have to get permission. And to get this permission, it's not an easy thing. It may be refused and it may be accepted. And it's, it's, valid, it's valid for one time. I don't feel I'm like any other citizen here in Turkey. Because for any move I have to do, I have to get permission. If I want to live as a human, I need to get permission for every movement I have to do. You know how, how, how the life is with the, such situation? You don't have your, the freedom to be as any normal citizen. He said life in Turkey right now feels for him like he's in a big prison. I'm in big prison. So this is this is just so hard to listen to. He he's been threatened for his work while he was in Turkey. He 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 doesn't speak the language. He can't get a work permit. And and every move he makes to help himself, to help his family, he needs permission. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can see why he would want to come to Canada. Well, he wants to come for all of those reasons. But the most important reason he wants to come to Canada really is this. My children and what let me leave Dubai is seeking for freedom. Not for me, for my children. I want my kids to rise and get old in a country where they can say their opinion without being afraid. It's all about my kids, not about me. I mean, this is the same reason that my parents wanted to come here, you know, to to make a better life for their children. And they weren't escaping an oppressive regime. Um, so to have that extra motivation as well, like I, I would think would heighten the want and heighten the need. Absolutely. So Hadia, what's the, what's the status of his application? Well, it's complicated to say the least. We'll hear more from Walid about the process and from Pierre-Andre about why Walid's case is complicated after the break. Commons is also brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. 
So I don't know about you, but I'm a person who loves to learn, and my love of learning did not stop when I finished school the first time or the second time or the third time. Um, So I still get a real thrill from digging into topics that I find interesting, um, which is one of the reasons why I love The Great Courses Plus. How have you liked listening to our featured course, Ryan? Well, the featured course I, I ripped through very, very quickly. The course that uh, that we wanted to start with on the show was uh, the modern political tradition, and it was a fascinating uh, series of lectures. The thing I love about the Great Courses Plus is that this isn't just a YouTube video series. This is actually a series of experts and academics that put these courses together for you, and uh, you can you can stream these things. You can put them on your phone via their their incredible app. So we've arranged a special limited time offer for listeners of Commons. You can get a full free month of unlimited access to enjoy any of these lectures, and you can start today. But you have to sign up at the Great Courses plus.com slash commons. Okay, so when did Waleed apply to come to Canada? So a group here in Toronto decided to privately sponsor Waleed and his family, and according to him, his application was submitted in November 2015. And he says the process from the start was bad, to say the least. In February 2016, he was called in for a standard interview at the Canadian Embassy in Ankara, which is Turkey's capital. And his unpleasant experience with the Canadian process starts here. He had gotten an email to show up at the embassy for an interview on a specific date for 8 a.m. sharp. We traveled from Istanbul to Ankara at night and we didn't sleep that night. I was there at 7.30. At 8.30, I went inside uh, the embassy. That's when the wait started. Waleed and his family waited five hours to be called in for the interview. In that time... And they kept us in a room where they took our mobile, they took all devices that we have, and they put us on a room, in a waiting room, with my kids, with only water. Waleed's kids were tired and hungry. I'd be tired and hungry. And when he asked if he could leave the embassy to get them some food... He was told... No, if you go out, you cannot come back again. You have to wait. And that was the start of the wait. His interview took place in February 2016. And then he didn't hear anything from the Canadian government for a year and a half. The waiting, I I didn't expect that. That you can use waiting as a way to torture someone. (laughs) I call it torture. Last year, I took my kid to a private school to get better education. And in private school, they told us that we have to pay for one year. And then I said to my wife, what if they call us to go to Canada? Then I decided to keep him in public school. Let's say if I want to buy a car to make my transportation here in Istanbul better, we cannot because... We don't know when they will call us. My kid need a bi- bicycle. I told him, shift it to Canada. In Canada, I will buy you a bicycle. So the hurry up and wait process is frustrating. What was the response that he got after a year and a half of waiting? So in June 2017, he received something called a fairness letter. Okay, right. What the, what the hell is a... F- What the hell is a fairness letter? 
Yeah, it was the first time I'd heard of that as well. So I asked Pierre-André. Immigration officers typically um, issue those letters when uh, an issue comes up after the interview that hasn't been properly canvassed during the interview, and they want to give um, the applicant the opportunity to respond to some concerns. And so, uh, but there's no timeline into, you know, how long they have to uh, sort of make a decision on the case after we uh, replied to the fairness letter. And what concerns did the officers have with Walid's application? Well, remember earlier when we talked about how he'd worked for the political group called the Syrian National Coalition? Yeah, it was a political group that was the recognized representative of the Syrian people by a lot of Western uh, governments, right? At some point, the coalition welcomed to its ranks members of an armed group that's called the Free Syria Army. And at this point, Walid felt uncomfortable being associated with the group because he felt that their mission statement had changed and he decided to leave the group. And this all happened in 2013. And this was the major concern from the Canadian immigration officer's perspective. There's something that is not logic. Because now, my, in my situation, they have problem that I worked with National Coalition because now... It has a relation with armed group. But when I worked with them, they didn't have this relation. They said, no, it's same. Even if you leave them, when I worked with them, they were political organization. After I resigned from them and left them, they did a relation with Free Syrian Army. So he left the group when he felt their goals shifted and didn't match his own principles. And I, that, that seems good. So I don't really see, I don't see why this is a problem. Well, to understand why this is a problem, we have to look at the law that the immigration officers were looking at and interpreting. So when Walid received the letter from the immigration officer, it stated they were concerned with his activities with the Syrian National Coalition in the context of sections 34B and 34F of the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. Okay, and and what do those laws say? These laws are concerned with security. So Section 34B of the law states that someone can be deemed inadmissible to Canada if they were, quote, engaging in or instigating the subversion by force of any government, end quote. And then Section B.1 states that you can be deemed inadmissible for engaging in an act of subversion against a democratic government, institution, or process as they are understood in Canada. But why the distinction? So I actually asked Pierre-André about that because it seems strange to me. Well, the difference here is by force. So the, the, the immigration regime sort of wants to allow for the acts to subvert a government, provided that they're not violent, if the government is not a democratic one. So that is kind of seen as legitimate, um, but activities, uh, subversion activities that include violence or force or armed combat, um, even if they're aimed at uh, a brutal, oppressive uh, dictatorship, uh, those acts would render someone inadmissible. So it's the distinction is, is the by force, the, the use of force. So... 
This to me seems very strange because if you have an oppressive government that's using force and that's using brutality and that's killing people, how exactly do you overthrow them without force? Yeah, they're probably not going to meet for tea or omelets, uh, maybe even a nightcap uh, before bed. That's that's not going to fly. So, yeah, I don't understand either. It's actually super confusing to me. Something that came up in my discussion with Pierre-André was that this would actually exclude a lot of American and other um officers from coming into Canada because the U.S. has been directly involved in overthrowing other governments using force. So technically, anyone in the U.S. Army, if they're trying to come into Canada, should technically be excluded by this provision. Uh, uh, absolutely. So, But you also mentioned Section 34F of the law. What was, what was that again? The section states that someone can be deemed inadmissible if they are a member of an organization that there are reasonable grounds to believe engages, has engaged, or will engage in the acts referred to in the paragraphs above. So overthrowing a government by force or trying to overthrow a democratic government. Right. And I guess I'm just, I'm, I don't know, I'm still not clear on how these laws apply to Walid's case. So I wasn't perfectly clear on that either, so I asked Pierre-André, and here is what he said. So the person who distributed leaflets for the Syrian National Coalition, for example, would be invisible. Someone who provides medical aid, you know, um, within the structure of such an organization would be deemed inadmissible. Well, it's always dedicated to kind of obtaining regime change through peaceful means. And he always objected, uh, you know, to the coalition's plan to um, have within its membership the Free Syrian Army. And he left the coalition um, shortly after. But the way the act is worded and the way it's being applied to the, uh, you know, by the visa officers, it's still going to follow him. Uh, and the things that the coalition do in the future will still uh, be associated with him as far as uh, security and admissibility is concerned. So you're guilty by association, whether or not you actually participated in any actual subverting acts? Exactly. And in fact, you're also inadmissible if the organization might engage in these acts in the future. And I'm not sure who's determining whether or not they may engage in these acts. But if if I can just take a, a moment to play devil's advocate, I think some Canadians might look at the attacks that took place over the f- past few years in Europe and, and even, even some of the more recent ones and think, you know, maybe coming down hard on security is actually a good thing. And this is probably where all of that, you know, hard line in the sand by the right in Canada comes from. So security, I think, in Canada is, you know, is a good thing. Wouldn't wouldn't we all agree? I mean, I think that's a valid concern, but I also think Walid has an interesting reply to that question. I understand them. They have the, the right 
to think about their security. I imagine it like that. If I have home, I will not let anyone access my home without knowing him. You know, this is their right. Right, of course. I mean, yeah, that, and that makes good sense. And I can't, I, you're not going to get an argument from me uh, about that. But what, what happened after Walid received the fairness letter? Well, Pierre-André responded on behalf of Walid in August 2017, uh, and Walid is back to waiting for a response. If he gets a call saying that his application has been accepted, he and his family will have one week to pack up their lives and move to Canada. And if the response is no? Well, we asked Pierre-André what recourse Walid would have. The answer is no, and here's what he said. The only real recourse would be to seek judicial review uh, in front of the federal court in Canada. But you need money to do that. It, it takes a long time. Very few refugees abroad have the means or even the sort of the connections on the ground or the knowledge to initiate judicial review proceedings of their case. There are a number of hurdles for, you know, in, in the judicial review process. First, you need to obtain, to, to, to be granted leave just to proceed to a hearing, and a fraction of the cases do proceed to a hearing. And then in the end, if your hearing is granted, it's not like an appeal where they're going to reverse the decision. It just gets sent back to, to the visa office, the same visa office, but a different visa officer who's kind of instructed to reassess the case. So he could be stuck in that loop. Walid said that if this is a case, he will just have to carry on. I have nothing to do, actually. I'm, I'll continue my life. I will continue. I'm, I'm, I'm not the only Syrian that is suffering here. I'm, there is three million Syrian here. I just want to finish this. I just want to finish this. That is our Commons episode for this week and our last episode of the season. Thanks for listening all season. Thanks for your support, your retweets, your shares on Facebook, and all of those downloads. I'm Ryan McMahon. I'm Hedia Rodrigue. Don't be a stranger this summer. Tweet at us at Canada Land Commons. That's Canada Land C-M-N-S. And you can email our producer at latifa at canadalandshow.com. This episode is produced by Latifa Abdin. Our associate producer was Ellen Payne-Smith. This episode was produced with editorial help from Olamide Olanian. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Our music is produced by Nathan Burley. If you want to get at us, you know where to find us. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon.
This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.